Hello, welcome back to Immature Politics with me, Terry Wayne. And me, Cooper Smith. Today we have a special guest. Uh, hello, Elizabeth. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Hello. Thank you for having me. So today's episode is a bit of, I guess, a retape of our previous um, abortion, women's rights-ish um, episode, because that one semi, it didn't, it didn't work out that great, I felt. Right, Cooper? Yeah. 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 That's yeah, that's right. Pretty accurate. Yeah. Even though you told me that we didn't need a guest speaker for that one. Um, I reconsidered my options. <laughs> anyway, today we're gonna be having a nice little conversation about um women's rights in general, mainly with um a large focus on abortion and um Unearthing um, something that relatively isn't talked about that much, which is, I think, like um, the wage gap and different types of discrimination that women tend to face. So, um, Elizabeth, would you like to start off with your opening remarks? Yeah, sure, I guess. Just want to put it out there. I am very much so a liberal so I guess like that. <laughs> oh, as am I. Um, yeah, we all know that, Cooper. Um, but yeah, so basically, I don't know. I'm pro-abortion. I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-women's rights. Um, I think like as a woman, as a woman, as a woman, it, like being a woman has shaped a lot of my views because even though I don't face a lot of discrimination just because I'm in a very... I guess, like, accepting community, mm-hmm. it is very subtle, and there are some, like, certain things that I'll pick up on. So, like, at work, like, sometimes, like, male clients will come in. I work at a dog wash, so I'd, like, show them how a room works and, like, like how the water works and just, like, simple little things, and they, like, wouldn't listen to me, which is, like, Ooh. obnoxious because it's, like, they, like, it was obvious that it was, like, oh, you're just, like, a little girl, like, trying to teach me, like, the man how to do things. Um yeah, I'm not sure what else you want to say. <laughs> well, um, specifically on abortion, um, we know that, like, you know, you're very pro-choice. But, like, go, yeah. go into, like, some of the specifics about it, about, like, why should we be pro-choice? So, I guess, like, abortion is always hard because it is, like, a lot of people, it's rooted in morals or, like, their religion. And it's hard to argue with your religion. But for me, especially, like, I, I'm going to be a biology major, so, like, I'm very, like, science-oriented, so, like, I don't believe that um, life begins at contraception. I believe it begins at birth. Conception, so you So that's, mean. like, a big thing for me. Yeah, sorry. Ah, a biology major. Um, but, yeah, so I believe that it begins at birth, not at conception. Um, so that's, like, a big part of my beliefs. But then also, like... I do believe, like, I'm a big believer in, like, only abortion, like, at the first trimester. And then afterwards, it's more, like, for medical conditions for women. Because, like, that's a big thing. Like, it's not just, like, abortion throughout Mm -hmm. the entire pregnancy. It's, like, only abortion in the first trimester unless for a specific medical reason. Definitely. Then also, a lot of what has shaped my views on being pro-choice is that, like, a lot of people, I think, use, like, oh, you can adjust, just adopt a child out as, like, kind of, oh, just, like, go through with this pregnancy and then, like, adopt the child out. And that's problematic, I think, because, like, 
a pregnancy takes a huge toll on a woman. A lot of women will lose their jobs over being mm-hmm. pregnant or like if it's like a young girl, then she has to drop out of school for however much time. And she loses that much of her education because of this pregnancy. And then a lot of women will face criticism from their family or people in society. And so it does take like a huge, like emotional and mental toll on a woman. And then, so say the woman like goes through that and then they end up like giving up the child. Um, the whole adoption process is really, really long and there's a lot of red tape surrounding it. And so like to actually adopt a child is a very difficult process. So a lot of those children end up in foster care and that's just like the entire foster care system in the U.S. is so bad and all those children end up being so vulnerable and especially as they get older, like less people want to adopt older children like they want babies. And so older children are very, very vulnerable and they experience very high rates of like sexual assault and um, sex trafficking. And so I think it's just like people use the whole adoption as like this like miracle answer to like a problem, but it really isn't. Okay. Well, Cooper, your response? Uh, response to, uh, to the overall of what you said or just pertaining towards uh, the abortion part? Um, I think for now we can go with abortion, and then later we can branch off to specifics. All right. Well, as said in the previous podcast that we had, um, I take a very pro-life position. Uh, I suppose I'm more more pro-life than a, a contemporary pro-lifers, I guess you could say. Uh, I have more of a strict... Uh, view on when a pregnancy should be terminated or terminated or in what manner it should be terminated. Um, I do believe that through uh, not only uh, biologically from a biological uh, purview, but through a um, philosophical purview that life in fact does begin at conception. Um, And that to terminate a pregnancy is killing. It is ending a life. Um, And pertaining towards uh, adoption of a child, while it may not necessarily be uh, a very preferable situation, I would argue that uh, being in a non-preferable situation, yet still being alive, is a preferable alternative to being killed before you are even born. Well, what do you mean by a philosophical standpoint? A philosophical standpoint? Yeah. Well, uh, let's say we look at, uh, I don't know, uh, a chicken egg, for example, a fertilized chicken egg. Um, Of course, there is no chicken inside the egg as of yet, but a process is, uh, there is a process that is going on in which a chicken is forming. And there is already uh, a life within the egg that is developing in toward to a, towards a more complex creature. And that is the natural process for that uh, creature to become more developed and more advanced. Unless, of course, uh, uh, well, so, sorry, never mind. Uh, it is the natural process for that developing chicken to, uh, in the egg, to uh, become a full-grown chicken, a, a chick, and then a full-grown chicken. So applying that same uh, purview towards other forms of fetal development in, uh, say, hu- in humans, for example, to 
abort a uh, to abort uh, an unborn person to abort uh, to have an abortion basically uh, requires the term it, it, it entails the termination of a natural process in which a fertilized egg develops into a more complex creature and it becomes more uh, takes on more uh, human traits and uh, and features so from a philosophical point of view to be to uh, carry out an abortion or to have an abortion is the termination of uh, a life and a life that is developing into something more complex and more human so if we okay hold on if we go back to how um, the baby affects the mother. I mean, okay, we can debate about the biological definition of whenever a baby has become alive or, you know, when it has become, when it's, you know, um, was it alive. But we also have to account for what the medical and monetary expenses expenses that the mother has to go through along with that the social expenses that the mother has to go through i mean what like elizabeth said you you said that like um a lot of young girls who have to go through this terrible decision of having to decide whether or not to keep the baby or to abort it it's very hard for them to decide right yeah and then also a lot of time well I'm not sure about like numbers, but like it's it would be hard to tell your parents like, oh, hi, I got pregnant. Um, So a lot of times they have to do it kind of on their own. And if they do end up making that decision, then like they have to go through the entire like abortion process alone. And it's like most people wouldn't be necessarily like super accepting of like the fact that like say their child got pregnant because like that's kind of like an irresponsible thing. So it ends up like taking a really like huge mental toll on like young girls. And then we also have to account for issues such as the fact that we have the U S is probably the only developed nation that doesn't have paid family leave. Yeah. So, well, I'm and like, that's another big factor when it comes to starting families, because since we don't have paid family leave, it's mothers are more in well potential mothers are more inclined to continue to work and to get more money to go to that promotion instead of taking a gamble, taking a risk, taking a large investment in raising a child. Because... Mm-hmm. And also, like, medical bills. Um, I was watching a video, I think it was either Vox or Vice, and no like no hospital has exact medical... Like, they can't give you, like, a receipt for how much actually, like, giving birth costs... But I think it's like upwards of like $20,000 if you don't have insurance and a lot of people are uninsured. So it's like not only do you have to like pay for it, like if you're going to keep the child, if you have to pay for the child for 18 years, then also the, you have to tack on that like extra like initial like $20,000 just to be able to have a child. Cooper, what would you say? Well, you brought up a lot of points and uh, so which one do you want me to address first? Because you brought on various points about responsibility and paid family leave. and uh, Well, let's, uh, let's bring up, 
let's hear your position on the monetary aspects of it. On the monetary aspects of mm-hmm. having a child? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, in terms of like giving birth or paying or uh, Is it... taking care of a child? Well, as previously said before, a position that I've made clear before, you can omit the costs of, um, of taking care of a child by putting them up for adoption. And that isn't necessarily the most. But then there's the psychological issues that we have to go through, psychological process that we have to go through of just simply putting them up for adoption. And like Elizabeth said, there's issues with our adoption system. There's issue with the foster care system. It's not like it's not just like a golden solution. Yeah, I know it's not a golden solution. Uh, There's no I don't think there is really any golden solution to much of anything, but it's definitely a more preferable solution. Than, it's killing, more preferable than ending to, a life. It's more preferable to let set up a child to enter into a terrible system that does not give them that many opportunities instead of helping out the mother. If they can have at least the opportunity to live and to at least have the opportunity to prove themselves in the world, I think that is, uh, I think that is more of an opportunity uh, than being killed. Okay. Do you, do you have anything else to say about the monetary aspects? Uh, yeah. Uh, in things like paid family leave, uh, I don't believe it's the responsibility of the United States to provide paid family leave. It can be the responsibility of a state uh, if a state wishes to do so and if it's uh, permissible under a state constitution. And I believe that if states have the ability um, to do so, then they ought to. Do I have other developed nations set laws to give paid family leave what about sweden france uk what about them well they have set laws man mandating paid family leave we're Mm -hmm. the only nation that doesn't have set laws mandating paid family leave why are they able to do it at least not on the national level i'm not Not sure are you sure about that you're I mean, saying I'm you're, you're sure. saying that you're saying the United States does not have paid family leave. You're saying that it's not the responsibility of the United States to provide paid family leave, even though nations like Sweden, like the UK, like Germany, like France have paid family leave. Well, well, you're comparing. Are apples. you saying that? Well, are you're, you saying that we're exempt from it? Exempt from what? Well, to say that exempt from what? There's no exempt obligation. From, there's no obligation. There's no obligation to provide adequate support to families. Oh, no, the, the federal government doesn't have so that obligation. Either... What, then, what, okay, where is, well, then... well, Terry, where is, that ob- where is that obligation written? It's no, the, the federal government does not have the obligation or even the power to do so in the federal constitution. I say it's a moral obligation. Well, the, United, the governments government. don't operate on moral obligations. Okay, they well, operate on have, legal then obligations. What about, then what about European nations that do, or other developed nations that do have? Well, a European, nation can, a European nation can do whatever it wants. I mean, you, you look at your, it's comparing apples to oranges in this situation. No, European, it's not. Oh, we're it, literally, we're quite much, literally comparing two. We're comparing Europe and the United States. No, 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 no. Okay. Terry, listen, the economic environments in European countries are much, much different from the economic environment of the United States. European, then what is the, what, well, what's so different about them? Well, for one, just uh, Americans work longer on average. Uh, Americans if have Americans more... work longer on average, then shouldn't they also be receiving a bit more benefits on average? Terry, what I'm saying is that European nations, which have lower employment rates, have a lower population uh, altogether, um, don't pay for, don't spend as much on crucial uh, government uh, um, 
responsibility, actual government responsibilities like providing for defense, uh, because we have institutions like NATO and the federal government gives uh, the federal uh, government gives subsidies to these countries to pay for their defense, which I'm also against. Uh, but European nation, the European nations have a much more uh, economic uh, uh, ability to provide paid family leave when they have much smaller populations, uh, fewer people in the workforce, and uh, f fewer hours worked by that labor for uh, by that uh, by that labor force, and when they're not having as much economic output as, as the United States does. I'm not saying that I'm against the, con the the notion of paid family leave. I just don't think it's the responsibility of the federal government to do so. It's a res I'd say that uh, if states have the ability to do it, they should. But it's not a responsibility of the federal government. Well, what do you say? Um, I do think that's a very interesting point. And I think it kind of comes down to like, Cooper, you are very conservative. So um, like conservatives generally want smaller governments. So I think that's, I do think that it's the like moral, like kind of like what Terry said, the moral obligation of the federal government to provide that. But I also see your point where like European countries are much smaller and they have kind of like less people to deal with. And so it, and like, just everything that you said, Cooper, about like the economic status of the European countries versus the economic status of the U.S. because it is much larger. So I understand where like it it should be the state's responsibility as well. So I guess like it kind of just comes down to like what you believe in politics. And for me, like I do think that is the moral obligation of the federal government, at least to encourage the state governments to provide paid family leave, if not to provide paid family leave in itself. If that makes I sense. see. Uh, could I ask a question in response to that? Or rather a series yeah. of questions. Um, yeah. From what source is government revenue der uh, derived? Oh boy, that's getting economics. It's not even necessary. Taxes? Yeah, the uh, yes, people, it's, the it's taxes. through taxes. Yeah. Um, well, hold on. If we're talking about paid family leave, are we talking about governments providing the family leave or the governments coercing businesses to provide the family leave? Well, I'm pretty sure it's the government that mandates companies to provide paid family leave a certain amount of time. Okay. Or a minimum amount of time. So in, the case, so in that instance, um, uh, governments are coercing businesses to provide family leave. And as someone who is against government coercion, uh, someone, or rather against uh, unconstitutional forms of government coercion, uh, I suppose that is another reason that I ha uh, reason that I have as to why the federal government should not be involved in the family leave process. Okay, well, we're getting a bit off topic here, but well, not, I mean, not really off topic because um, paid family leave does tie into uh, this general subject. Um, but I want to bring this back to the biological standpoint of. Um, of abortion, which I think Elizabeth will be able to provide a much larger input into. Um, so let's get back onto the biological standpoint. Um, Elizabeth, you said that it's the baby is born or is alive at birth, right? Yes. Basically, like, so if I if I understand pregnancies correctly, the nervous system doesn't start to develop until after the first trimester, which is why, um, like most uh, pro-abortion people, I would say that, 
like abortion should be performed only in the first trimester, accepting medical reasons. Um, But so for me, a lot of it is just that like a baby is not a feasible, like it can't survive on its own without its mother, I think reasonably like into the third trimester. And so that's like a big part for me is that like it, it doesn't, like the baby itself or the fetus like can't survive without the mother and without like support from the mother which is obviously like the point of a pregnancy but it's just like it's not a feasible human until into the third trimester cooper what do you say well is that how is that how we are to um establish our definition as to what is a feasible life whether whether it's able to live outside the womb it it really just depends, I think, like, on your own f- philosophical views. Because, like, you can have that argument with so many people about, like, oh, does it begin at conception or does it begin at birth? And it's just, like, you, like, I can't convince you to think the same way that I think and you can't convince me because that's just, like, I think abortion, speci- or, like, specifically this issue on abortion is something that is so deeply rooted in, like, our own moral compasses. And it's not, like, like, I don't think you're wrong for thinking that life begins at conception and I would hope that you don't think I'm necessarily wrong but like I I just I don't think it's an argument that you can necessarily have because no one's going to really change their own well that's an understandable uh Mm -hmm. view to have on the situation but I think that Mm -hmm. if we were to have a con if we were to have a conversation um about an issue that there should be some sort of uh or rather if we have if we are to have a conversation about solving problems or addressing an, uh, addressing an issue, it requires to have some sort to some uh, common ground, some standard uh, definition of uh, what different things are, what different uh, concepts are. Or... Yeah, I agree with you, but I think that's just like why the abortion conversation is so difficult because, like, the, like a lot of people can't find common ground because, like your common ground or like what you believe is like I I would be okay with saying like life begins after the first trimester because like that's when a baby is more feet or when a fetus is more feasible but it's just like before that especially because like like no woman wants to have an abortion and like that's a very difficult decision and to say like oh you accidentally got pregnant like because of whatever unforeseen circumstance so you have to be punished for that my bad that's a found (laughs) shit Hey, hold on, I'll be right back. Do continue. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so just because, like, of unforeseen circumstances, like, I don't think you can necessarily say, like, oh, well, like, that life, like, I believe that this life started at conception, and so therefore, like, like now you have to have this baby when it's like maybe like the other person believes that they can have an abortion until the first trimester. And so I think it's just difficult to be like fighting with like morals. Okay. Well, um, now that we have around seven ish minutes um, left, I want to begin talking about um, the different types of socioeconomic um this well issues that women are facing today especially with um paid um with like you know the gender wage gap 
Um, and another thing is there has been with the advent of modern technology, there has been certain cells or little groups within the internet who are very I wouldn't say they're like I don't want I don't like using this term, but like beta males. It's MGTOWs. I would say <laughs> it's well honestly it's like it's these internet chat groups who are mainly comprised of men who in the United States and in different Western countries where it's just like I mean, yeah, you can see they have like no life, but it's like, you know, it's just men who don't really go out and socialize. They have been um, I guess socially isolated for a majority of their lives. And it can be comparable to um, a current trend we're seeing in Japan where it's perfectly acceptable for what, a young 20-year-old male to have an online like robotic girlfriend. We've heard of that trend, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um It's a big problem in Japan. <laughs> definitely. Really big problem. No, the, it, it's it's crazy though, because I, I think it was like back in two thousand twelve, I think it was, there was this man who um like like officially got or I don't know if he was officially married to, but he had a wedding ceremony uh for yeah, with, with his DS. Just... Like with this this uh this anime girl in his yeah. DS. That's that's just kind of crazy, but yeah. um, I'm taking a bit too long with this, like, um, whatever, with this, like, segment to topic. But what I'm saying is that, like, currently there's been what's growing, what's happening is there's a group of, well, a growing group of socially isolated men who have gone to the point where they despise women or they despise the, you know, your typical, what they see is, like, that all girls are the term thoughts. thoughts yeah and it's that like mm-hmm. they believe that you know all blonde should be eradicated or like some just absolutely crazy um just like beliefs about women in general um elizabeth what you have anything to say about you have anything to say about that um yeah i think it's just like it's scary i don't even yeah it's it's kind of terrifying to be like like targeted for being born in a way just like because it's like hi I'm a woman oh I don't like you like because you're a woman and it's just like it's very strange to me like how that happens and I know like that's like like a not a big part but like kind of one of the problems with like the feminist movement is a lot of people see it as man-hating and it's just like kind of for no reason like like that doesn't make sense to me just like to hate someone for like being A lot, but then there. Well, I'm. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm against the feminist movement. It's just that, like, there, no, yeah. and there, there have been videos online or like accounts saying that during those feminist protests, there have been women who like there. You know, like there would just be the, like this. There was actually a YouTube video where it's like, you know, this guy who like YouTube. He goes like to talk to like some um, women protesting in London. And, you know, he walks up to him and they're like, hey, you know, like, I support what you're doing. And just, like, one woman with a sign, she's like, back off. You're, like, assaulting me or something. And just, like, she completely just, like, amplified the violence. Even though the guy yeah. was just, like, you know, he was like, hey, you know, I support what you're doing. Yeah, that's, that's just so aggressive. Um, and I think just, like, having the internet and having, like, like, I'm sure there are, like, all these people, like, over the, like, around the world who, like, not all but like 
there are people around the world who like have these views and like before they were kind of just like hiding in their own little like communities but now they're all like connecting and like their voice is getting stronger and I'm not like I don't know if it's a threat necessarily but it's just like it's kind of terrifying to be in a place where it's like all of these people are now coming together and realizing that like uh, they're validating their own opinions which is like it's a dangerous opinion to have on either side definitely cooper do you have anything to say about that yes i do um because i think there's a bit more nuance uh to that to that um i guess you can say people who have a, a distasteful view of uh i suppose modern day women in a sense there are um those who uh uh, spend their time on like Reddit or 4chan who uh, pe- people that are, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who affer- like uh, express a disdain for women, you know, like uh, MGTOWs or incels. And then there is um, another, I, I, there is another side to uh, another point of view, uh, which is that of uh, traditionalists online. And I'd say that I'm more in line with that view because uh, whereas the MGTOWs, whereas the, uh, the incels, they uh, show disdain for modern women because, oh, uh, I can't get laid with them and I'm such a loser, woe is me. The traditionalist looks at not just modern women, but the modern social climate and says, this is dangerous. This is leading towards societal decay. This is how civilizations fall. And I suppose that that is the point of view uh, that I align with the the more traditionalist view which is that we're seeing trends that um are a direct um are, are a direct result of things like the feminist movement but not just that but uh, also other um leftist movements calling for things like uh economic justice social justice uh things of that sort <laughs> sorry um mainly per- looking at trends like a uh, single motherhood and the correlate at like how and and the divorce rate in the united states the united states i believe has uh, around a 50 percent national divorce rate which is disgusting um and then also the single motherhood rate uh in the united states which is absurdly high it's well well near if not above 50 percent, i believe it, it's it's the national average is uh calculated differently depending on different um racial groups at least from the statistics that i've seen um, but ever since the, uh, the 1960s, we've seen this disturbing, uh, ever since the, 19, uh, the feminist movement, at least the second wave feminist movement, we've seen this disturbing increase in single, uh, single child rates, uh, 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 single motherhood, single parent motherhood rates. Um, and we've also seen that those who commit more violent crimes, uh, more assaults, more homicides uh, tend to come from single motherhood households. So whereas a MGTOW look, or someone on 4chan or Reddit looks at the current situation and says, oh man, why can't I get in, uh, in on part of this? The traditionalist looks at it and says, this is dangerous and we all need to change our behaviors, not just women, but also men. And I, that is the view that I, uh, that I hold. More of it seems view. like, yeah, it seems like what's happening is um, with the advancement of technology, since, unfortunately, technology is a predominantly male-focused or male-based um, type of industry, 
or type of sector in the economy. And it seems like what's happening is with the rise of feminism and more women trying to empower themselves, what's happening is at the same time, it seems like men are becoming more secluded or being focused on... It seems, it's like men aren't being that much outgoing anymore. There's a larger trend that seems to be going towards introvertism. And it could be because of technology. It could be just because of societal change. But it seems like we're also steering towards more of ind- individualism, which is causing a lot of divides and causing a lot of... It seems to be like a switch in the scale of power when it comes to genders, right? Would you would you say so? Uh, um, who are you are you asking me? Well, or yeah. You... Well, like both of you guys. What do you what do you guys think? Um. Yeah, I definitely think so, and I think part of that is that just like, like a lot of the things that you see from like the 1900s, and even like from what my grandparents have told me, it it was always like women were either supposed to stay in the household, or like my grandma said that her the two occupations she could or three occupations she could have was a teacher a secretary or a nurse and I think that just like women got tired of that because like I want to be a doctor one day and I have friends like female friends who want to be doctors or lawyers or like work in politics and it's just like to be able to have that freedom of choice is something that like women in the past never really got to have because it was always like oh you have to settle down and have a family and so I think that women are coming, like coming, coming to terms with the fact that like they can do what they want. And it's, I guess like, it, it's just like women are trying to be more independent because it's like, we don't like, no, like you don't need a man to be like the breadwinner of the house anymore. Definitely. Um, Cooper, you have anything else final to add? Um. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, I would say that the reason for... I'd say that that you have a point, Terry, when you talk about this, what I describe as a hyper-individualism within society. And what I I mean by that is, whereas societies were bound together by, um, you know, traditions, customs... Uh, common language, common ethnicity, common religion, etc., uh, which formed uh, the cohesiveness of society in the form of a nation in Western countries as they become more multicultural, more cosmopolitan, uh, and more consumerist. We've more or less abandoned that old, um, that old way in which we organize societies and taken on this this form of hyper individualism in which there are no there are very few um things that we uh as individuals there are very in as individuals interacting in society there are very few things that we have in common and so in order to supplement for that lack of tradition uh that lack of um sameness or belonging we substitute we substituted for behaviors which uh many would consider as degenerate you know thing, uh, things like a uh, hookup culture uh, mm-hmm. and something uh, in uh, a phenomenon like hookup culture i definitely think contributes towards uh, um, 
is a big contributor towards the divorce rate, towards the single motherhood rate, single parenthood rate. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'd say that the, that the biggest reason for this societal change has to do with the lack of cohesion. And it's not it, it, uh, a sign that a civilization is dying is uh, looking at how cohesive it is. So I don't necessarily think that we're on the best path for. Our, <laughs> for our wow, that's very optimistic. Well, I'm, I'm, it's, it's not. Well, you can be optimistic or you can be pessimistic, but I'm just looking at. I say pragmatic would be better. Well, I'm just looking at gen. I, I realistic, <laughs> I suppose. Realistic. Okay. Well, I think that's a good. Well, unfortunately, a bit bleak uh, point to end off on this episode. Um, thank you for listening to this episode on women's rights, this, um, with a large focus on abortion. Thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us. Thank you yeah, for having me. It was a great, um, a great episode that we had today. Anyway, so uh, remember, every Friday we have a new episode. Next week's episode um, is going to be on – let me look at the schedule here. Next week's episode is going to be on immigration. Um, unfortunately, no uh, guest speaker this time, but we will have more guest speakers coming up. Um, on some more international related issues so yeah make sure to be um subscribed to the podcast um it's also available on spotify and everywhere else you want to listen to podcasts on so thanks for listening and have a nice day